Hedonism, Mastering the Lost Art of Pleasure and Leisure, episode number 102. Can pull that off? <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. All right, here we go. Another episode. More coffee. And I have a passage you must remind me to read on our topic. And she couldn't have used a better analogy or this um, example of hedonism. Did you read that bit about the coffee? No. You didn't? Oh, I'll have to. Should I? You wanted to start with it? I'll yeah. Read it. Start with it? Right, yeah, me, start with it. Let me find it. So we're so today we're going to be talking about hedonism. And that was off of the, um, I think off of, yes, last episode I was saying it. I was looking into getting into the um, ethical hedonism and bringing some of that back into my life. Um, so here we go. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I might have to do it later because it's not jumping right out. Here we go. No, here, got it. So it says, so basically when she's talking about hedonism, she's giving an example of what normal hedonism is. I think when people hear the topic, they think of the excesses and debauchery and all that, but she's saying it can be the little things like, so if my morning coffee gives me pleasure, I might pause and relish it while I drink it. Inhale the fragrance of it fully and focus on the nuanced, warm, smoky, bitter deliciousness of it. It should fully attend. I should fully attend to the warmth of it in my hands, to the feeling of it in my mouth, and the cascade of sensations and flavors it delivers. Not only that, in the morning before my coffee, I anticipate it. I can think how lovely it will be. And later, as I go about my day, I can pause and think about that coffee about just how warm and good it was, how it smelled and tasted. So that's her example, small example of small pleasures. And yeah. and I think the whole thing with hedonism, I know we'll get back in some of the, um, the, you know, the history of it and that like, but it is about the pleasures and people think about big giant pleasures and excessive pleasure, but it's, it's actually being focused and focusing on the little things that bring you pleasure. But because you're giving them the, the attention, they're little things, but they're big things. Yeah. And that, that I sense. love, so you have this book in front of us, the Hedonism Handbook, Mastering the Lost Art of Leisure and yes. Pleasure. And uh, so I've only read the introduction to that, but that guy is hysterical. And basically, it's Mike he's got... It's Flocker, is it? Is it? Yeah, Flocker. Yeah, I'll, Flocker. I'll link it in the show notes. And, you know, if you download the sort of free sample the ebook on Amazon, you get a really good taste of it and it makes you want to read more, which is great. But uh, he has some, he just has a hysterical sort of style of, of writing stuff yeah. in terms of like, can I see the book? Cause then yep. I'll like, instead of getting out, we'll, we'll do a real paper copy yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And that's paper. Old school. Old school. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, basically, I mean, he's talking about how, we're just on this sort of rat race of work and trying to earn stuff and, and thinking about, he sort of has this attitude like hedonism is great. It's about pleasure and enjoying things. When did it become such a terrible thing to enjoy things? Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's a good way to put it that. You can when sort did it become of, a terrible thing to enjoy things? 
it makes it, it's so okay so this is a this is a little taste it says the truth is we live in an age of manufactured fear television reports warn of killer escalators allergic lovers and undetectable underpants cameras <laughs> man smokes joint and jumps out window Woman develops laugh lines and loses job, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then he says, cigarettes might be bad for you, but so is getting hit by a bus. Life is full of surprises and there are no guarantees, but one thing is certain, a life without pleasure, beauty, and a sensible degree of self-indulgent is a sad and wasted one. I'm just like, it just made me laugh. Because, you know, he just has this uh, sort of rage against the machine, like why I'm tired of people telling me to stop smoking and stop doing all these things that I love. And you know, I think we have a little bit of this when it's like you come and get uh, up with the, you know, your love of the vegans and stuff. It's like, don't make me give up my meat, man. I love my meat. And if anyone ever, like my husband sort of knows now, don't talk about the coffee because it's like my one thing. You know, I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a big, you know, but I've got to have a few like things that are, yeah, it's not great for you, but you love it. And it sort of brings joy to your life. I think everybody has to have their vices, don't they? That's what I always say anyway. Everyone's got to, we all have our vices. And then we, but the thing is, you sort of think about them as vices, but then, you know. I say that in a a loose kind of way. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so um, how I got here, and I've I've visited this topic before, I've had this book for a while, um, and I guess just with all the other things that I've been shifting and leveling up based off of our last podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, just to return back to this and to return back to actually simply and a lot of it is about slowing down to actually enjoy stuff because we are always in such a rush I mean when's the last time you actually you know drink your cup of of coffee in the same way that the lady described it in the opening you know I mean you drink it you're in a rush like she described you know you're rushing off to Costa or Starbucks or whatever your coffee out, grab a couple of coffees and hey, you just, you know, we're moving so fast yeah. and we don't slow down. Um, and uh, it is about slowing down to enjoy, like truly enjoy what's around you and what you're doing and who you're with at any given time. Um, even the stuff I find for me, even the stuff that sucks, <laughs> even if you, if you have the right sort of mindset, you even can find thing, the good stuff. Yeah, well, even things that you know aren't actually that fun, you could relax into it. Mm. Um, yeah, there was a, there. You know, when you sort of mentioned this topic, I you know this is all sort of new reading for me, which is great. But I think there's some really great insights into what gives us sort of pleasure and how we think about it. Before so, you go into that, did yeah. you do you have any of the historical stuff in that notebook of yours? Yes, of course I do, Clay. <laughs> so, Let me just slip say, let, to the historical let's section. Let's give people an idea of where what it is, hedonism in terms of its origin and, and yeah. where it's coming from. So there's that article that you sent, What is Hedonism and How Does It Affect Your Health? by Desiree Kowalski or whatever. So And she sort of describes what we think of it as now. So she says, you know, there's these hedonistic characters that are, you know, going to access and they're compelling. The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. That was a good, that was a good one. Yeah, there's, mm. yeah, quite a lot of examples we could think of, I bet. Um, and they're compelling, and I think this is right, because they seem to reject the sensible and responsible way to live. They indulge their carnal appetites in ways that we daren't. 
with scant regard for the consequences, but this kind of behavior is better termed as debauchery. And uh, yeah, so basically, coming back to what hedonism actually is, we have beginnings in ancient Greece, and the first person, there's this guy called Democritus, okay, maybe, yeah. Yeah. and he was sort of, I don't know much about him, but the, the main two people af come after him. One is a student of Socrates called, now I'm going to have to do my Greek, <laughs> Aristippus. Yeah, Aristippus. Yeah. Of, so, of Cyrene. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and what I thought was sort of interesting about him is that off the back of Socrates talking about what is the good life, he sort of adds this idea that all people have the right to do everything in their power to achieve the greatest amount of pleasure for themselves. And it just sort of spoke to me about how all of this Greek philosophy comes into things like on um, the Declaration of Independence and stuff where we actually have a right to pursue happiness. Yeah. So, you know, these sort of things, once, you know, that those kind of phrases are part of our psyche now, but, it, you know, it's good to sort of think about that fact that that was actually a novel idea that not only do you, can you, but you have a right to. Did you have a right to, yeah. Yeah. And he makes a distinction between, because this, this is Aristippus <laughs> of Cyrene, and, uh, you know, again, yeah, the notion of pleasure should be the ultimate purpose of life is, is his carry-on from the sort of Socrates pieces, but not... Not the instant gratification, which I think some people think about it, but it's more the cultural pleasure, love, friendship, and contentment. Um, well, I mean, what I read about this um, Aristippus, whatever guy, so they sort of refer to him as like the ultra-hedonism, where it's there's no distinction between pleasures and that... Although Socrates would say would have said that higher pleasures of the intellect, they say that those bodily pleasures are more simple and intense and therefore preferable. And so it's it's all about you know seeking pleasure. And the only reason why you would, for instance, not break the law is because that would bring you personally fear of being caught and punished. Right. So you know, but otherwise, like go for it. Whereas it seems like by the time we get to Epicurus. There's a bit more of a developed sense of actually what brings us pleasure. Like he sort of talks about the different kinds of, yeah. of pleasure and stuff like that. It kind of brings in the sort of social and intellectual pleasures um, Epicurus does. Because they went so far as to create the garden, didn't they? They kind of pulled themselves away from... Uh, normal Greek society and created the garden and so I watched um, th did you watch the uh, little YouTube school of life on Epicurus no not okay so I'll put that in the show notes too that's a little five minute piece you know and school of life sorry always good um, but they brought to my attention the fact that all of these little communes that were set up by Epicureans where everyone was like, you know, just hanging out with their friends and, yeah, man, like you know, it. all about friendship and, and leaving their jobs so that they worked for themselves. So it was yeah. more about work. Being self-sufficient, yeah, exactly. growing their own food and not having to get in the rat race. Yeah. If you read some, some of the stuff on Epicurus, it's interesting because for me it was... Um, Hold on, stop. Yeah. I just wanted to tell, say the end of that, which is that all of those got taken over by the church and turned into monasteries. Ah, Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. All of, so it's like eradicated. Yeah, but but 
the School of Life kind of said they must have thought something of these communes and that these communes must have had some kind of like standing because they were they weren't just like washed away mm. they were like superseded do you know what I mean yeah well, so there is a book but I didn't I didn't reference it or send it to you that's called Christian hedonism but I've oh, not yeah, read okay, any right. of it so there's probably some connection there yeah it's interesting yeah um, okay, anyway. Well, no, no, here's the garden and, um, you know, breaking away. I guess what was interesting to me about that story is that if you think about, um, and I think I've said this in the past on podcasts, is that our problems today are no different than they were back in the days. Because they were trying to get away from having to slave away and work and to, to buy goods and stuff that we don't need. Um, and then got yourself, so get yourself tied up in the manure, material wealth and possession and that and they wanted to go off to these communes and things like that so that they could just concentrate on the simple things in life the more and and be self-sustained and not have to be a part of that um the normal society yeah Yeah. right there's a book that i was sort of looking into called the frugal heat hedonist or something that was sort of the modern day version of that it's two people who've written this book on if you want less stuff you have to earn less money and therefore you have more time to do more fun stuff because there's been a couple of uh, movements like that haven't it so the whole sort of you know um, I'm trying to think of the guy who, but essentially what he was saying if you start to look at things in terms of how much that's going to cost you in your life as in yeah, how much life thing. do I have to trade for that? Yeah. That's right. And then if you decompress from all of those sort of things, you could actually, you know, live quite nicely. You're not going to have, you know, the latest cars and that all was, the gadgets uh, and stuff like that. Um, Thoreau. It was him and then a the guy... Who said, how much life do I have yeah, to exchange? No, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm thinking of the a guy that wrote Angry White Pajamas... And he's well because he's gone off. He did that in Japan, but he then went off to live the thing that what we're talking that about here. Angry white pajamas. Uh, he he lived a year in Tokyo and learned how learned jujitsu from. Oh, like, cool! Sort of properly, um, and he also wrote. Um, uh, Robert Twigger's the guy. He wrote the How to Be a Man in a Lousy Modern World, which is quite okay. fun as well. Uh, but he's gone off now to start some movement in the desert somewhere <laughs> but it basically it's like well yes how much life is this going to cost me and then if I don't have to tie up energy and having yeah well you know the I think the other thing I'm really that I really like and I want to think about more from this a whole reading on Epicurus is that he, he's basically saying okay pleasure is the chief good in life so we should live in a way that we get maximum pleasure and yet moderately in order to avoid the pain of overindulgence. So he's basically saying, you know, if you eat this massive, delicious meal, then you're going to feel pain afterwards in terms of, like, yeah, your yeah. stomach hurts and stuff. So, Or if you get really super crazy drunk, you're going to wake up with a hangover. Exactly. And- so it's sort of like enjoy the stuff, but enjoy it in a way that you keep all the pleasure, but you don't go over into that place yeah. where then there's a negative kickback. Um, and then, let me see if I can find it somewhere. So it's like that middle ground, is it? It's not, not to go to excess and to debauchery, um, not to deny yourself as maybe, um, you know, some other schools of philosophy would have you just deny all of your 
Yeah. Functions and bodily and everything. Yeah. What was that dude, Sirenis the dog or something like that? Oh, I don't who know. Who just lived in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, neither am I. So it was kind of finding that right degree of pleasure without going to the excess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is all appealing to the Buddhist in me who's like, the middle way is the way. Yeah, well, you know? I mean, and it, and it is in, in a sense. And something else that I read in one of the articles where it's, um, and it may have even been in this book here about how that sort of simple pursuit is maybe contrary to the main thrust of society in terms of working. Like we have to bring up a new term, work-life balance, and your whole thing is pushing to achieve success in quotation marks. And you know, you know, there's this, and I'm, and I know I'm guilty of it sometimes. I tweet the never not working type thing, mm. you know, where people are in this 24-hour society, and you're just kind of always pushing and pushing to reach this magical thing called success. And then for anyone that wants to decompress from that and and have a more simpler life, then you get the whole sort of maybe. You know, hippie kind of new agey kind of head in I'm the clouds sh- kind of thing. <laughs> I'm sure it's in the beginning of this book too, where he's talking about how people go on holidays. So, um, yeah, basically he says it's no coincidence that in times of great pressure, this is the hedonism handbook again. Mm. It's no coincidence that in times of great pressure, stress, and strain, people will look for means of relief and escape. But if these moments are of glorious indulgence, are weighed down by unrealistic ex- expectations or feelings of desperation, they often backfire. You can't run a marathon and then get hammered. Bad things will surely happen. You can't fast for a month and eat a whole cake. So don't fast for a month and then eat a whole cake. <laughs> Fasting, man. And you can't derive your, uh, deprive yourself of pleasure and br- bliss for years only to escape. Um, like in an instant it's sort of like then he says the trick is to pace yourself it's sort of like that is how it is isn't it we're like driving ourselves driving ourselves driving ourselves and then get to the point where we literally because we're not machines we have to escape and then that escape is like the work hard play hard we have to like play hard but you know something When when you go on holiday what do you do when you're on holiday uh it depends just typical like I know you probably now chase after the kids, but think back to a time when you maybe the kids. Well, were see, I used to like doing things on my holidays. Yeah. I used to go to cities and like you know go around all the museums and stuff. And now my holidays are like I want to just sit in a chair and read. But right. that's only because my life is busy with kids. I think that will change. Yeah, but, it's t- but it doesn't matter which holiday. But what, so what do you typically do on either one you want to describe holidays that you have done or how they are now or how they used to be? What do you mean? Just. Describe one of your holidays. Well, I mean, I think before, like we used, to, like I used to take sort of city breaks. You'd go yeah. and you'd go to art, and you'd go out to dinner, and you'd yeah, you you do all the nice stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And then is that what you're sort of getting? I guess at? what I'm getting at. Well, we go on holiday, and you're just chilling. And you, oh, what can't life? Why can't life always be like this? And when you really think about that statement, on holiday, you're not actually doing anything that you can't do back at home because you're relaxing you're eating food out or you're going to a museum or you're checking out this or you're yeah. but your mindset is much more relaxed because you don't have the tyranny of time saying I got a long old yeah. to-do list and I gotta get it done and so now yeah. I'm only focused on the to-do list and I'll maybe carve out some time to 
do this thing that gives me so much pleasure when I'm on holiday to the point where I'm like, man, why can't life be like this all the time? And it's just, whenever, it just, it's mind-boggling to me on that end because all of that's available to you. Now, the amount of people who are like, oh, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to do, go to, people don't, I don't have time to go to the gym or work out or, and I. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Those, that kind of, I don't know, it just boggles my mind in that that sort of sense so that it's almost like pleasure or peace of mind or well-being is there for you to have but for some reason we've convinced ourselves that like some people if you're sitting around reading a book then they think you're wasting time yeah yeah. so you said whether it's non-fiction or fiction yeah uh, who's got time to read books you don't have enough to do if you're sitting around reading books and I had loosely had this conversation um, with someone recently as well, it was just like, oh yeah, well, don't have time for, for reading because I got all these ten thousand other things to do. Um, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was having a conversation with someone recently about how just changing our language is probably the best thing we could do in terms of say, not saying I don't have time for it, but like I'm choosing not to. That's not where I choose to put my time because yeah. you know that. And if you really look at your time, you probably have time. And then I think there's something about the mindset. Like I was just saying around mm-hmm. um, even doing things that suck, if you have the right mindset, actually it can be... Yeah. I don't want to use the word pleasurable, but it can bring you something a little bit different if you have the right mindset and you relax into it. And um, I, See, I really liked going all the way back to ancient Greece. I kind of like the, the ways that he that Epicurus talks about kinds of desires or kinds of things that bring us pleasure. So he sort of says, we're, we're sort of desiring pleasure, but what is it that we think we're going to get pleasure from? Mm. And he's, he has, so he has three categories. He has the desires for things that are natural and necessary. So they're necessary for happiness, bodily comfort, and life. So we desire food we desire right. water we desire air but we also desire um i don't know yeah those are sort of Clothes, the ba- yeah house, the sort of basics <laughs> then then there's the kind of desire for something that is natural but not necessary so it's an innate desire but it's not necessary for happiness or survival so delicious food was like the example delicious food as opposed to just just goulash. food yeah yeah so and then there's the third category, which is these desires are not natural and not necessary. And these desires he describes as they're, they're limitless and they can never be fulfilled. And he lists things like wealth and fame. So these desires that put you in a different category of like a rat race to a constantly shifting set of goalposts. Yeah. And I think... What, what he basically is saying is we think of those things as bringing us pleasure and we think we want them, but there's so much pain associated or, or you know, discomfort or troubles that come with the pursuit of that, that they cannot be described as pleasure. Yeah. So I just, I just thought that was like kind that. of interesting. I like this, the, the three categories yeah. here, isn't it? Because we do seem to spend a lot of time in pursuit of that last one. That's right. Yeah. Consumerism and yeah. 
trying to get as much money as you can so that you can get all these goods and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And so basically, I think when he when he's then when he's saying hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, mm. it's also that in itself is wrapped up with the elimination of pain. And it's funny because, you know, so I'm, I'm reading all of this and I'm like, yeah, okay, to me, that doesn't sound much different. It's just a different phrasing for Buddhist sort of approach with equanimity, those things that you want and those things that you don't want. Yeah. You know, so um, attraction and aversion is the Buddhist way of putting that. Yeah. And here it's like pleasure and pain. But it's essentially saying the same thing. It, I mean, I think there's a different sort of attitude towards it. But um, in a way, I sort of thought, yeah, it's actually quite similar. I, I was surprised that there was so much stoicism versus Epicureanism kind of thing. Because in a way, they seem to be saying quite similar things. And so, you know, in terms of like thinking about moderating what you desire and keep, you know, and, and focusing on the things that you can control and you can get and sort of letting go of the things that you can't. I guess, I guess the more I read into that, though, my issue with this is that I'm, I'm on board for all of this. I think that focusing on the things that we can get and recognizing that some desires cause us trouble. And like even to the point where they're saying, once you pass over from enjoying something to being sort of addicted to it and needing it, yeah. all the joy of it goes out. So it can't be seen as a pleasurable item anymore because the experience of wanting it isn't pleasurable. It's like desperation. And then even getting it, the most we can get is relief. We don't get pleasure from it anymore. So the alcoholic doesn't really get pleasure from drinking a glass of wine anymore. It's just mixed up with this whole like load of sort of negatives. Yeah. So I guess that's the sort of more thoughtful argument about overindulgence and the different like problems with overindulgence. But then I guess my sort of issue, and I think the, the thing that Stoics do more for me with is there are some things that come into your life that you cannot control that cause pain. And there's nothing in here that tells you what to do about that. Right. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, I feel like the stoic sort of, I don't know, maybe it's just a, yeah. It's, it's maybe just, as you say, maybe it's just a how you focus it. Because even as you were just describing it there, I was trying to imagine if I was a stoic or if I was... Um, a hedonist of the Epicurean type, what would that mean? And I guess looking at Epicurus, it's almost like, what's the thing that you are in pursuit of? Mm -hmm. So I'm in pursuit of a simpler life because I want to focus on the things that bring me the greatest amount of pleasure. Yeah. And I guess where a Stoic would say is, even if you pursue those things, but focus, don't focus on the things that hinder that's external you, to you that hinders you from getting those because then that causes you anxiety or pain yeah but focus on what you can do which might be just your attitude and your relationship to 
attaining those things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could probably reconcile it in that way. In fact, you can probably be both, couldn't you? Be a stoic. I th- well, apparently, stoic. <laughs> maybe. I don't although know. Um, Seneca associated himself with the Stoics, he yeah. apparently quoted Epicurus a lot, and he so. He's basically saying that our school, meaning the, Sto- the school of Stoicism, believes that facing your troubles with equanimity. You know, I, I think of, like, I watched that film Frida the other day on Netflix again. Okay. About Frida Colt. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I like that movie. Kaolo, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, you look at her, and she's this amazing artist, and she has this really tragic accident in a bus or trolley or something, and, you know, basically is disabled for most of her life and in, in terrible pain for most of her life. She has like 20 odd surgeries for her back and, and often is bedridden and stuff and uses art and stuff to, and I mean, I'm sure in reality, you know, you look at a film and it's one thing, but you look at, you know, what that must have been like for her. I'm sure there was a lot of dark and not very romantic moments. But I feel like when you, when you think about those kind of problems in life or those kind of like situations maybe don't even think of them as problems but just a situation I feel like the Stoics have a lot more tools to give you than the Epicureans that are like it's all about pleasure and it's all about ridding yourself of fear and ridding yourself of bodily pain and sort of like well what if you can't rid yourself of bodily pain Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, then what do you do? And then I think you that, become a stoic and then you say, well, there's nothing I, I can, then you, yeah, I can do right. about it. So now, just, now I need stoicism. Yeah, I'll just accept the thing. Well, I was thinking about um, the two now, just thinking about my drive in to work this morning, my workshop that I was running. And I was thinking as a, as a hedonist, then it, for me the focus was just on actually enjoying the, the drive looking at the trees and the sky not even really much caring if I got to where I needed to go right. <laughs> on time it's like oh yeah and just kind of yeah. enjoying what it feels like to be in a car and driving and that sort of pleasure yeah. and I think if I had a stoic hat on it would be oh there's traffic so but you can't control the traffic so don't go get all angry about it and start tooting your horn and so it's like you say I guess it's it's almost like for the stoics that it's how you react to things that are around you, yeah. More so than more so than like um, a pursuit of something. It's almost like here's a way to deal with the things that are in your life. Yeah. But also happiness would come from these things because, in the same sort of sense, as in instead of getting all angry and bent out of shape because of the traffic, but it's not my control. Well, don't worry about it. Let that go. So then, therefore, I don't get angry at the traffic because. I know I can't control it. What can I control? Well, I'm inside my little box here and I can turn on the radio and listen to um, something good or I could put the Havana Cafe podcast on and listen to that and focus on it as opposed to the traffic and getting angry. Um, Yeah, so yeah, and I'm a big fan of both philosophies, I guess. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh, continue on. We've got Epicurus's um, four-part cure next. All right. I like it. I like in the sound of that, the four-part cure. It's called the Tetrapharmacos. Nice. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. 
Our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience, our community of contemplators like you, and we would really appreciate your help with this. Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. Um, going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks, and back to the show. So the simple simple pleasures in life. I'm just, I'm hitting record and I had something else to say, but then you mentioned Thoreau um, earlier and I was just remembering his quote about simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. And then, um, which is ironic because it's not what you think of when you think of hedonism. No, no, you don't. Yeah, exactly. You think about just maximum pleasure and excess and excessive rock and roll and drugs and sex and. But I like it because it's alcohol. it's much more sophisticated way of understanding pleasure and yeah. what actually makes us happy. Because you can take pleasure in a lot of stuff if you really kind of get into it, like just the very simplest a, of things. And a lot of, for me, it's like recognizing that a lot of the stuff that we think of as pleasurable that we're pursuing is actually causing us a whole lot of grief. Yeah, causes us more, more grief. Here, so let me do this quick quiz for people to take. Here's a quiz you can, um, and this is from Michael Flocker's Hedonism Handbook. Um, and he's saying that if, if five or more of these statements are true for you, then you may need to seriously think about a hedonistic intervention. Okay, I'm going to take the quiz now. Okay, Ready, so go. You no longer remember anyone's phone number because they're all programmed into your cell phone. No, I'm okay. Do you remember phone numbers? I don't know anyone's phone numbers. Yeah, I know people's phone numbers. Do you? I yeah. remember some of my old ones. I'm who, not. Who actually? What do you? What do you need a phone number for? See, I'm not. Yeah, I know. I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I completely agree with you. It's not a. It's not a. This do is you, why I'm like suspicious about this quiz. Do though. you actually know some numbers? Do you? Well, I could tell you. I know you. my number, but. I don't know other people's number. I don't know your number, but I just go to my phone. I don't know your number. Oh, see, and there you I know. I know Stephen's number. I know. Um, I don't know Ruth's number. Yeah, Stephen doesn't know my number, I but just, he doesn't know. Not he doesn't remember numbers at all. No, I could tell you. Um, I mean, I could call my aunts, like all three of my aunts. Right. I could call just. No man, remembering my numbers. I freed up. It's a it's a it's a small (laughs) category of people. I freed up those brain cells. Anyway, Uh, number two, you email people at work who are seated within twenty feet of you. Doesn't apply to me. Keep going. I think everybody does that though. Yeah, they're just right there. I mean, we do. See, I'm not. I see. This is why I was like. But we do it even in the house. If you substitute email, we're also messaging. Devin's just upstairs or in the back room and instead of getting up and going upstairs I just text him message them on Facebook Messenger "Ah, come do this in (laughs) fact we have a family messenger group that's where we you know instead of calling or talking they're actually getting together (laughs) and we converse through our group see but this seems more anti-technology to me than sort of anti does it yeah anyway keep yeah. going okay number three you make uh, itineraries for your vacation that's it that was I a good never do that okay um, no I don't ever do that ever um cause it's just that's the point of being on vacation if you have to have a schedule <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> um 
the idea of a full week without internet access fills you with terror. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, that, totally. I'm, I'm nice. there. Let's get yeah. out of here. Um, you're bored at home if the television isn't on. That's not me. No. Uh, you absolutely must watch the news every day no. to be sure the world isn't ending. Now, I used to... But watch. I can understand why that, why, why you would do that because it does feel like that sometimes. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I used to, I mean, it, well, two, one, it was kind of part requirement being an army officer and all that. You needed to yeah. be up on not local news, but international news. Um, and so I was in the habit of reading the paper every day and watching news all the time. So I know who's, what and what's going on, where, who, what leaders in what country, all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of part and parcel to that. But then I stopped. And in fact, I don't watch. I'm probably, I don't know. I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm not a big news hound. Like I don't watch, I don't actually watch the news and I don't actually read the paper anymore. Yeah. I see the occasional stuff from but my But some people really feed. enjoy reading the paper. I don't know, keep going. Okay. No, I did. I used to love yeah. getting my paper, sit down Sunday. Well, my mom loves reading sit, the paper. That's like what she does on a Sunday. Time, it's nice, yeah. yeah. Um, next one was, um, you absolutely must watch. Nope, that was it. Number seven, you regularly watch sitcom reruns that you have seen countless times before. Yep. Seinfeld, How I Met Your Mother. But see, I don't understand. Maybe that's like enjoying (laughs) life. I don't know. Enjoying the simple pleasures. Well, we do it because you know that you're going to laugh. I think it's the knowing as opposed to having to invest time. It's also because we, yeah, and we love stories. And (laughs) I don't know. I'm not into this quiz, man. Give us the last couple. uh, The next one is um, you you are unable to sit still and think in silence. No. Uh, your conversation regularly revolves around the lives of others instead of your own. Nah. And you buy shoes because they match your iPod. <laughs> oh, that's totally me. <laughs> Is it? <Yeah>. No. <laughs> that's you. That's you. Probably, I definitely place. have less shoes than you, I guarantee. Do you? Oh, yeah. I have hardly any shoes. Really? Yeah. I got loads. I get accused of being a girl because I got loads of bags and loads of shoes. I have no shoes. No, I got it's it. Good. It's good to... Th- you know, flout these gender stereotypes. Okay. Yeah. But no, but no, no. On the shoe thing, and I have to defend myself. Cause I have to defend you don't myself have to defend yourself Ruth. to no, me. Because she's always like, "Oh, you're like a girl. You got shoes." But I don't have fashion shoes. Yeah, I have you have shoes sneakers. for hiking. I've got shoes for climbing. I got shoes for the beach. That's cool, man. I got shoes for lifting. Head, you know. You don't have lifting. to defend yourself to me. So Plus, you had those. You had some awesome like. My orange and blue Yeah, things. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, I, that's like a pair of shoes. So, f- for fashion, I have maybe two pair of fashion shoes, if you want to call that. All the rest are utilitarian. They, they got a use for them. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. Now, where are we at? Where, defended. That, the defended on totally the shoes. Totally fine. Thing. Totally yeah. fine about the shoes. Now, bags is a whole other thing. I love bags, but bags, what I love about bags is the sense of, travel and adventure and, and my bag and I have to have the right personality I can't have any bag yeah yeah so yeah. when I have to I totally when I get, get a new bag it's, I have to actually search for the bag to one that speaks to me that says yeah right okay I can go on these adventures with you I can say yeah you can you can be my adventure companion alright sorry I digress <laughs> this is good though it's all about enjoying the simple things in life and that is the simple That's thing right. in life having, having a bag that has a gazillion pockets in it and zips so I can have all these compartments. That's some, <laughs> that's a simple pleasure for me. I love that's it. That's right. Yeah. 
What, okay. are, what are some of your simple pleasures while we're talking coffee, about simple Coffee, 100%. Pleasures? Yep, coffee. And opening, nice. opening a new bag of coffee, I always smell it. Oh. Opening a bag of potato chips, too. You've got to smell a bag of potato chips. Do you know what I used to up. love doing? Hmm. Opening up peanut butter and being the first one to stick the knife. Oh, really? And the new peanut butter. That's funny. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to do. It's like, yeah, I do love me. food. I do love food. So, you know, you, do you know, like I'm not... Um, I love food that I haven't cooked. I wouldn't consider myself a foodie and like that kind, like someone that really loves food. I like to eat. Yeah. But I, like I don't know good, how the distinction is. Yeah, yeah. I just, like I wouldn't go to a fancy restaurant. I don't like those. In fact, I don't even really... Sunshine for both of us. Sunshine, yep. Sun, Simple sun pleasures. Yeah. And do you know, I actually like cuts in the grass. Oh. Do you? Yeah. you? Yeah, speaking of garden, I really feel like... And to ironing, too. I like ironing. What? Well, because it's... I didn't fr- know anyone who likes ironing. But it's meditative, isn't it? Oh, my God, it's tedious. No, 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 no. No, it's nice and it's very zen-like. Oh, when wow. When you have it on, especially if you get the... That's uh, how I feel about washing dishes. I see now that's, that's that's going too far. So because you can in the iron you can get that the water that smells nice and you have that going <clears throat> and then it's just the whole sort of rhythm and stuff like that. Yeah, man, I, I zone <laughs> that's out. That's great. It's, we have to have these yeah. things. I do think that. So we we bought our first house. It'll be three years this summer. This is the first time we really have a backyard or garden that we're like taking care of and mm-hmm. doing stuff with. And I have to admit, my husband's much more of a sort of green thumb than me, but I do feel like I get a lot of, of simple pleasure in our garden. Right. I really, I really enjoy it, particularly this time of year because everything's growing and stuff. But just in general, I like having a, I like having my kitchen sink look out over the garden. It's really nice because I haven't had that before. Mm. And you know what's nice. something that I miss when we're talking about holiday that I can't do at home, here in England anyway? You're contradicting yourself, but go on. What? Not really. Well, not when you hear what I'm going to okay. say. Okay. <laughs> Is having my cup of coffee sitting on the balcony in my tank top and shorts and no shoes on watching the sun come. It's just too chilly. Yeah, <laughs> Like, I had to have my hoodie on today. I was it's, outside it's drinking my coffee. It's the same in the evening. I really like evenings yeah. when you're still, when you can still be in t-shirts. And yeah. I think that was always my problem in Scotland was yeah. it was never that warm. Yeah. Like, occasionally you get that here in England, but not in Scotland. Yes. I like yeah. it to sit out. There's no such thing as a warm porch. evening. <laughs> might be a warm mid point in midday, but. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, no, cool. So apparently, I have to tell you now what your four-part cure, according to Epicurus, Epicurus. is um, to live. It's a guideline on how to live the happiest possible life. So the first one is, so, like, you're in ancient Greece. Do not fear the gods. So I suppose he was looking around him, and a lot of people were doing things so that they wouldn't invoke the wrath of the gods. We still do that now. Yeah, we do, the but gods. I think, yeah. Someone the other day was talking yeah. to me about karma, but I'll, you would probably dispute them on what they have as Interpret, a definition yeah, of karma, right. but yeah. yeah, that's out there. Yeah. So, do not fear God. Do not worry about death. What is you, good you is... You need to take note of that one, considering yeah, no, exactly. last week. Yeah. Exactly. What is good is easy to get, and what is terrible is easy to endure. So Say really that again. Say so what is good is easy to get. So I suppose that sort of speaks to the whole, if something requires 
a lot of trouble to get it, it takes away the pleasure of it. So everything that's good should be easy to get. Okay, also gotcha, easy yeah. to get. I think so that's like what it must mean. Being the first person to put the knife in the peanut butter, that's easy to get. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What is terrible is easy to endure. So see, that, like, I just feel like I didn't really get into what he has said about pain. I mean, he basically says there's, like, severe pain is usually very short-lasting, and if it ends up in death, well, then you're dead, so yeah. it's fine, because he doesn't, he believes consciousness ends at death, so then that's it, so fine. No problem. Then, and, and mild pain you know it's temporary. But I'm sort of like, you know, again, I go back to Frida and I'm like, actually, there's a lot of situations and a lot of people that their pain is like severe. And I also don't really find this idea, and I mean, maybe Epicurus, Epicurus was more detailed in his idea about pleasure than this um, Aristippus that was the student of Socrates. It's basically he's saying, there's only really the present moment, which cool I'm there with you but then every pleasure is the same and I don't really I don't really think that's true I think different pleasures bring different things bring different levels of, pre- of pleasure alright well because we haven't actually defined what pleasure is there so we'll, we'll, how are you defining pleasure to start with in order for us to be able to distinguish between the pleasure of eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or the pleasure of well that's right um, you know jumping out of an airplane yeah, that's not pleasurable to me. But that is pleasure. <laughs> that's super pleasurable. Oh, man. But, so what, how are we defining pleasure? No, because you know why? This is a perfect example. Jumping out of an airplane would cause me so much stress right. on the way up and in general thinking about it that it would take away any joy of that like, one minute when you're what, in free fall it, and awesome. But does it cause you stress because you think you might die? No. Then what, is it, what causes you stress I hate the feeling of falling. I, yeah. hate, I hate roller coasters. I hate that like sensation of dropping. Yeah, but you don't have that. That's the thing that's one you you think that you would have that, but the reason is because you're not starting from zero. You have the speed of the plane. So when you jump out, you're going the same speed as the plane, so you don't feel like you're falling. Yeah, well, Unlike on the roller coaster where you go, and then it's that big drop, you don't have okay. that. It's okay. I can't, I can't yeah. overcome my mental like yeah. stress. And, and this is also, Clay, I would have to say, now, falling you, into the category of not natural and not necessary desire. It is not natural to want to jump out of a plane. <laughs> and it is not necessary. <laughs> so I'm going to put it to the side and, and, well, and go on with my life. It's necessary if you're an airborne infantryman. Yes, it is. Then, yeah. then so pleasure, I don't think that's in my future, though. Pleasure is a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment, at least according to the dictionary. Um, yeah, okay. So a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment, and I guess you can have different degrees of intensity. So... I find it pleasurable to do the peanut butter thing, but I find it pleasurable also jumping out of an airplane, but they're heightened. Like, See, it's funny because like, then you have this whole thing where you can't define one thing without defining its opposite. You know, right. I mean, we did so long ago, we did the whole um, episode on, um, oh my goodness, I'm losing my words, on like, die something. Anyway, I'll think of it in a minute. Right. So sort of the idea that you can't have good without bad and you can't have... Um, dualism. Thing. A dualism, thank you. Yeah. So Epicurus, basically, it's talking about 
pleasure is freedom from fear, which he goes on to like freedom of fear of death and pain is, I suppose, or freedom of fear in general, fear of the gods, I suppose it would fall in that. So freedom of fear is in Greek, ataraya. And then the other bit is absence of bodily pain, which is aponia. So when you have both of those things, you have pleasure. When you are free of fear and free of bodily pain, you have pleasure. Okay, so... And that's your goal. Right. So you have to free yourself of all fear, free of the gods, fear of death, and you simplify your wants and desires to the only the things that are easy and natural to get, and then you're, you're sailing, apparently. Yeah, so maybe our definition, modern definition of, of pleasure is maybe different because I'm just thinking of times where I don't have a fear of what, any of that fear of but I wouldn't call, classify it as pleasure yeah. yeah well I mean I think yeah. that's that's his sort of like how do you achieve this like life goal yeah, I'm, I I'm, don't know. I'll go with my definition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is what I was saying about, so this guy who's written on Epicurus um, says that these principles that he has, that he's known for, that pleasure should be pursued and pain avoided, and that restraining your desires is the technique for achieving happiness. Right. That these are actually derivative conclusions because... Epicurus held certain beliefs about the universe and man's position in it and because of the way he views the universe that justifies this life so it's like so basically he and this is I think where he really deviates from the Stoics so I think maybe that's another another layer of this whole thing but basically he believes that gods do not meddle in human affairs that consciousness ends at death. And if you don't believe consciousness ends at death, then you've got a whole different relationship for what you think in terms of what you should pursue in your life. You know, and if you think that there's some level of consciousness that goes beyond death, then your your definition or your your question might be what is the good life rather than what makes me happy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. so it's the sort of like, I guess it, what, what was interesting for me is then it's like, okay, actually these beliefs or these attitudes sort of derive from a very basic understanding of what we think about things. And if you, you know, and then the third thing is how do we understand knowledge? And of course the Buddhists would have a certain way of thinking about this in terms of the mind so like everything happens in the mind Mm. so if you think that then that means certain things I guess and for Epicurus he's saying apparently that you gain knowledge from the five senses from your sense of pleasure and pain and from innate conceptual knowledge and I suppose that's sort of like instinct maybe or something or our interpretation of things yeah. mentally or conceptualization of things. Like if we, I mean, we'd be coming forward a whole bunch of centuries, but, you know, Jung and his whole sort of archetypes, which I guess yeah, is maybe, yeah, innate um, aspects, like, you know, no one has to teach you how to breathe or and other things that you don't have to get taught. Just and a lot, of, I feel like a lot of this stuff is sort of external, like 
the Buddhists don't actually t put a lot of stock in your senses. You know, they put much more stock in the way that your mind works and the way that your mind might interpret the stuff coming in from your senses. But everything so, happens in the mind. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas, whereas this, I mean, I suppose that's why they call Epicurus a materialist because mm. it's much more sort of externally focused. But I can get that because there's a lot of people who, you know, they really, you know, if I can't see, feel, taste, or touch it, then yeah. don't go talking to me about things that are fanciful or metaphysical. Yeah. If you go kind of that sort of space, I guess some people who, you know, who would say, doing what we do on the podcast is a you know, it's a waste of time talking about some of the things that we talk about because they're metaphysical and blah, um, and they're very much grounded in the in the, yeah. the senses. They're very much, in fact, it, that kind of comes itself out in some of the personality test stuff like, that I do. So going back to sort of um, Carl Jung and that aspect, because you got people who are uh, intu intuition. It's intuition versus sensing. So, mm, right. Yeah, okay. People who are, have a sensing preference, um, their interaction with the world is through the five senses. So they think of things in the concrete sense. So for them, it, if you know, if they were, um, I do this exercise with them, which is quite interesting. When if they haven't taken a test yet, and you just give them, uh, you put a tea bag. I get them to close their eyes, and then mm -hmm. I put a tea bag in there hand and tell them to open their eyes and then just to write down the words that come to the mind. Yeah. So people with a sensing preference will say, tea bag, it's rough, they'll just they'll physically describe the thing as it is. People have a preference for intuition, they'll start talking about, oh, I think about grandmother or sitting by a fire and they'll do they'll talk about everything other than the actual thing that's in their hand. Right, okay, um, interesting. And so, yeah, so if you ever do any of those insights on Myers-Briggs, that's that, Young uh, called that the sort of sense and in, in intuition. But, um, yeah, yeah. And I think so, I don't know if that's just the way, you know, how that develops in us as a human. So when do you split and have a preference for one or the other? Although you have both, what makes you have a preference for one yeah. or the other, increases your preference for the other? Like for me, I'm very on the intuition side so it's a, if you know if we do a Myers-Briggs it's uh, ENFP so in the intuition bit so I tend to see the possibility of a thing other, but not that that's a chair and it's made out of wood and that's not how my brain works right <laughs> yeah. so it's sort of interesting to think about how much that would just influence how you then think about the whole world yeah, no, yeah. absolutely yeah. that's funny yeah. Yeah. yeah okay so um, before we have this final Checklist. Okay, yep, yep. Uh, what are you going to do hedonistically, well, ethically, hedonistically? I've already started in the sense of part of it is in a very, very practical sense is just slowing slowing down. So, you know, there's been this whole slow movement, which you might have come across in the yeah, reading, yeah. various different I want to do, I wanna do an episode that, on that, actually. Yeah, I think that'd a be lot good. Of, yeah. But some of the, so it's been that, so it's been the, the slowing down and not to be in any particular hurry and then slowing down noticing and ex noticing more around me and, and interacting with that which was a, is around me um, like the drive today driving in yeah. I was in a whole other planet and it's a very pleasurable feeling I mean I did have to get somewhere and I did have a presentation to do so normally in my head I would be 
thinking, oh, I got to get in and, you know, worrying about what was around me and rehearsing the whole thing in my head. But it was like, yeah, you know, oh, are up. I know the knowledge is in there, so I'm not spending any brain power overthinking or the stuff. And But it's... I, it's, hard, it's a very subtle thing, but that's what I think that's the easiest way to describe it is this, the slowing down bit and noticing more of I like the, what was the guy who did that? Um, oh, maybe, maybe it was in that book. I don't know. It was basically the, the whole actually savoring pleasures and pacing yourself mm. where it's like this has to be something that comes into your life every day mm. not something that you yeah, wait until your two weeks holiday of the year or whatever yeah. and you're just gonna sort of binge relax yeah, I want to do spend more time with people as well and more beer drinking well uh, Epicurus <laughs> was all about the friendship wasn't he it was I think it's yeah. friendship friendship and, brings pleasure and having the having just yeah just total abandon of worrying about the world and work and any other achievements if if this whole thing has appealed to anybody (laughs) listening like in a serious way I really think that book is great that hedonistic handbook because the guy it's a funny read it's so funny he just has this sort of like like funny sarcasm of like don't tell me not to enjoy myself. Mm. What else are we doing? What is this life for anyway? Like, enjoy your thing. And I think that's the sort of, I, I feel like I always have that reaction about food because like, you know, when people are trying to limit stuff that I enjoy, whether it's coffee or, you know, sugar or yeah, stuff, yeah. I know it's not super healthy, but I'm also like, you know what? I don't really want this body to last forever. Like, yeah. I would like it to last a while and, you know, be healthy, but, you know... <laughs> That, what's a, what's life for? I'm it's not to live a, forever. That's it's a whole other episode, isn't it? In terms of, I'm thinking, because um, we have this thing about wanting to extend our lives and live longer, but yeah. in my head, I'm thinking, have the occasional whatever. It's fine. Yeah, it's like okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I think the, the other thing that I was just thinking about, just personally with this, is something you said last week about being self-employed or having flexible working hours where you think that that is such a great thing because it means you're going to do you're you're going to be able to do all this other stuff and then you don't ever get to the work you know I can't remember exactly how you put that but you know I think that there's sort of something that we can get ourselves into where we're we're trying so hard to find leisure time that we take the leisure out of it and what happens if you make everything leisure time for you yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you just enjoy just being alive and doing stuff, even the hard stuff. Even the work. Even the work. I mean, if you just take pleasure in just the fact that you're alive. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, does it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it matter? Just Like, I get accused of always being happy. Most people, oh, you're always happy. Why are you always happy? You're <laughs> smiling. It's like, well, there's a number of reasons for it, but you know, I'm not always super happy, but also yeah. just think that, you know, I don't know, life is very fleeting and short, and why get worked up? Or like you, the other day, oh, don't stress over you. Send me that message. Oh, okay. don't stress. And like, stress. But then you caught yourself, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't you know, imagine you stress. stressing. Stressing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a clay emotion. Nah, it's not part of my gig. Um, All right. Okay, so this is. The Death Review, again, back from um, Michael Flocker's book, The Hedonism Handbook, Mastering the Lost Art of Leisure and Pleasure. 
author of the best-selling book, The Metosexual Guide to Style. <laughs> totally. <laughs> a plug for his other yeah. book. Yeah. All right, so here we go, the death review. Um, when you get on your deathbed. So the set on here is, yeah, you know, here's the thing to think about when you're on your deathbed and you're doing your little review of how well you lived your life, I guess. Um, did you laugh and play in the sun? Check. Uh, did you allow yourself to be free? Semi-check. Um, did, did you take chances? Yeah, double check. Did you trust your instincts? Yeah, check, check, check. Uh, do you treat yourself well? Uh, yeah, probably. Half a check. Yeah, half a check. Uh, did you truly connect with those around you? Yeah. Did you learn to give without taking? Yeah. Did you ever let go of the pain? Yeah, I dumped pain long, long time ago. Stop that gig. Um, did you forgive and move on? Nah. <laughs> I'm going to take that to my grave. Grudge. No. Um, did you live out your dreams? Semi. Did you attempt the impossible? Yeah, maybe. Uh, and did you learn how to love? And did you take responsibility for your own life? There's your deathbed review. All right, so what are we going to do for you're, some you're, You did pretty well on that, and it's just time to, you know, throw you in front of a bus. You're done. Check, check, yeah, check, check. Yeah, check. I'm all done now. I can, well, that was the other thing we said a couple of weeks ago. Today's a good day to die. That's anyway, right. kind of thing, isn't it? All right. Um, all right. What, what, anything we got to say? We've got a newsletter going to start out regularly now. Where we're doing a curated newsletter of the different things that we're reading, seeing, and thinking about that would be worth sharing with this audience. So if you haven't signed up to the newsletter, do that on the mm -hmm. website. Um, are you running your mug challenge still? Is that happening? Yeah. The yep. iTunes Next week. review. Yep. How long are we giving people to uh, do the One more reviews? week, I think. One more week. Yeah. Um, what else we got going on? I don't know. Lots of stuff. There we, you've been, lots of things you've been, you've been, now we got the book. E-book. The e-book, yeah. So, yeah, if you don't have a copy of that. If you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get a free e-book. Oh, that's e right. You'll get the free e-book as well as get an opportunity to get the mug or the mug is just iTunes. Mug, you have to uh, leave us a review on, on iTunes, iTunes, which okay. you should do anyway because you want to help us out because yeah. that would be awesome. Absolutely. And you're awesome, I'm and, sure. And share the podcast with others who you think might enjoy this. And if you, if you tweet us and they're like, we might do a live Havana Sessions Cafe thing I think I think we need to do that I'm throwing this out here now I think instead of those Socrates cafes we're going to do a, our Havana Cafe Sessions podcast down here there's plenty of room where we could have a bunch of people down here and we can have a nice open session with loads right. of people yeah you're Let's looking you need to go in your my introverted self is like what Yes. Okay. okay, I'll be here. All right, cool. There we go. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. We have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience, our, our community of contemplators like you, and we'd really appreciate your help. In fact, there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot. One is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show.
Another is going to iTunes and giving us a review, which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, can, people can come across it. And you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website. Thanks a lot.